0: Hello, hello, and welcome to Review 2. This week we're reviewing all that you can't leave behind.
1: What is this song about? It's about moles digging in holes. No, I'm right. Of course I'm right. I can't hear what he's saying. Evil U2. I don't know if any song has ever cheered me up, broken my heart, or told me to walk away more in my
0: entire life. You're back with Johnny and Tyler for yet another episode of Review 2. Tyler, what has happened to U2 since pop?
1: So we pick up in 1997 in July. The Pop Mart tour begins, and then in September the band play a milestone gig in Sarajevo. The tour officially ends in March 1998, but that doesn't stop your favourite band and mine performing one final Pop march show in Springfield, as Bono and The Boys appear in an episode of The Simpsons. Later on in 1998, whoa, The Sweetest Thing is finally released as an A-side in U2's favourite month. What month is that, Johnny? Is it October? It is October. Well done.
0: Well done, uh, you. The theory is actually bearing out pretty well. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I've been wrong all these uh, episodes. Grab yourself a bicky. <laughs> in January
1: 1999, you two return to Dublin to begin work on recording All That You Can't Leave Behind. In September, Bono meets the Pope. In December, Bono rings in the new millennium with President Bill Clinton. On to the year 2000. In March, you two are awarded the Freedom of Dublin. And finally, the lead single, Beautiful Day, and the album All That You Can't Leave Behind are released
0: in, go on, guess that month again, Johnny. No, and surely not October. October 2000. Fair enough. This is a special album for me because it is the very first album I bought with my own money. So I'd obviously borrowed like bits and bobs of singles off people when I was younger I think the Smurfs album might have featured very early on, um, but this was—is was, that the one with the laughing policeman on it? I think so. Yes, I had that as well. I loved it. <laughs> Review Smurf. So this is the first one that I bought with my own money. You know, where I went to—it um, was Tesco—and bought <laughs> that album. It wasn't a very cool record shop to, to get it. <laughs> um, this is a bit weird. This album to me in a lot of ways because I listened to it so much, and it was during my kind of you know formative early teenage years, and. All the songs became so familiar to me that going back to them to listen to them now was odd. And because I was quite, you know, unaware of things that were going on in the world, I just related everything in this album to me and my life, which is kind of odd, really, because, you know, what if a sort of, you know, 40 odd year old band got to say to someone, you know. I think a lot of
1: you two songs are open to interpretation.
0: Yeah, no, that's true. That's definitely true. And I mean, I guess all our episodes have kind of bore that out, really. I mean, we're more interested in just talking about what the songs mean to us than saying this is what they mean because the band said so or because this context says so or this interview. Um, so I made all the songs about my life rather than any actual you know, political or local um, influence that was going on. So it's an odd album to go back and review, but it is so familiar to me. Well, a lot of the songs are very familiar um, from this record
1: because... Beautiful Day was obviously used um, as the ITV... Premiership. Premiership program. Yeah. That's the soccer, if you're in America, football if you're Mm. in the UK. Uh, Elevation was in the Tomb Raider movie. And that seemed to be everywhere else as well. It was a huge single for them. Mm. So they they had quite a lot of really, really big songs on this album. And all of them seemed to get played for quite a, a long time. Yeah. I remember... Songs like Walk On and, and, and Beautiful Day and Elevation and Stuck in a Moment, in fact, yeah. still being really relevant
0: when Vertigo was coming out, and that's four years later. Well, I think there's a lot less diversity to be honest at this particular time. You two seem so ubiquitous and are able to get massive chart performances out of this because there isn't Spotify, there isn't, you know, YouTube um, in the way that we know it today. So they achieve a huge amount of airtime, time and they do seem really ubiquitous and then obviously um the events of 9-11 make this album accrue a different kind of resonance which i think kind of boosted this record again it became relevant again all of the the meanings and the songs particularly you know things like walk on that kind of thing and the optimism of the album i think that's what made it hit the zeitgeist in such a um it had so much impact it is, it is an optimistic record, and it, it so easily couldn't have been.
1: Basically, U2 had backed themselves into a corner with <laughs> pretty much everything they did in the 90s, and although Pop was the band's most immediately successful album, being uh, debuting at number one in 24 countries, the band's management weren't happy, because even though Pop... I have the exact figure... Not the exact figure, but an estimation here... Pop sold about 60 million copies worldwide and that's a relatively small figure for a U2 album. Mm. That's, you know, it's quite crazy that the management were, you know, they weren't, they didn't get the returns that they expected from a U2 album. Mm. There still would have been massive returns. but I
0: guess it's all relative, isn't it? If you're expecting to keep making more and more and you think the band could be doing that and maybe shouldn't be taking an enormous... Uh, lemon on the road that is costing everyone masses and masses of money every day in production and road crew and things like that.
1: If that's what they had to do to get to this point, then I'm I'm
0: very glad they did it to get here. I definitely, I think it was. I love pop, but I think as as obviously you do. See the previous episode, yeah. but I'm happy that they did do somewhat of an about face on this. I think it was just time for a new a new sound. The millennium helps really in achieving that kind of cutoff point, although it's it's kind of arbitrary in a way it it still feels quite fresh this album yep it's, definitely
1: it's a it's nice to listen to sometimes you forget about it or you over listen to something and then don't listen to it for a while but
0: i, I i'm still always quite happy when i rediscover this album mm. and that's an achievement considering i mean just for me personally because as i said i just played it on repeat i didn't have many albums i mean this was the first one
1: but i think uh rolling stone called this u2's trilogy with um Joshua Tree, Acton, and No All That You Can't Leave
0: Behind—they say they are the three seminal U two albums. Interesting. I would disagree with that, but I—it depends what your criteria are. If we mean in a popular sense, in a critical sense, well, in a can artistic I shock sense? you?
1: Go on. This album has sold more copies
0: than Joshua Tree. Wow, that is quite impressive. Which
1: is quite strange when you think, you know, how big and how well known Joshua Tree is, and that's known as the. The landmark or the flagship album, yeah,
0: the classic, yeah.
1: Um, interesting. So it, it's very interesting that now it sold mo- this album sold more.
0: Again, maybe it seems more modern. Could be. I think it might it might have something to do with the sheer exposure they got, you know. And as I said, I really think the events of 9-11 made it appeal to an American audience in a particular way. I have a theory about this album, and it's called my Bono. Dad slash father theory. Now bear with me, okay. So I think this is the album where Bono—he's always had a big character and he's always been, you know, kind of uh, somewhat of an ego. But this is where I think Bono becomes most recognizable and central in the band, in definitely on the public stage. Do you think that's reasonable to say? Okay. He also becomes noticeably more mature. Okay. So as he sings in Kite, he's a man, not a child. And I think this is a very different Bono to that of Joshua Tree and Acton Baby, and I don't think that kind of Bono, the kind of Bono you see jumping around in Ratland Home and jiving about and gyrating on Zoo TV, I don't think that Bono can exist here anymore. I think that's done. That's put into you know. Into I, w- I would
1: agree that you two, from this point on, are the older statesmen of rock and roll.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely getting that way. I think that's that's true. Um, and certainly compared to, I mean, you know, the bubble suit Bono that was jumping around in pot. This is a different guy here.
1: The 90s do seem like a bit of a midlife crisis for you two at this point.
0: Oh, yeah, sure. Well, I think this is where he gets um, he gets comfortable with a particular identity, slash pair of glasses, slash haircut, slash leather jacket. Um, now, I think that in that vein, Bono becomes more fatherly or perhaps daddish on this album. okay, And that's not a bad thing, it's just a different thing. I'm going to kind of bring this up throughout the album. There are moments where I think Bono is being a father in the way that he's presenting himself and moments where he's coming across as a dad. And again, neither of those is is better, it's just very different. And I'll explain what I mean as we go through the songs. I want to continue that point, but I, I think obviously we're going to get to it. Via the
1: songs. Yeah, through the songs. So... Is it time to go track by track? I believe it is. Okay. From innocence to experience, walk on with us as we elevate and review to all that you can't leave
0: behind. Beautiful day. And I think what we were saying about freshness really applies here because as I put this on uh, the the other day to listen to it for the review, it was a horrible dull frosty morning, it wasn't even that kind of nice brightness that you get sometimes with early winter, and sat on a crowded bus, this song really cut through that horrible kind of morning malaise, it is still an amazingly fresh song, it's really tight, and it's probably the most kind of, you know, tight, big statement song, it's you 2 reaching for that epic sound and achieving it in a way that isn't overly fatty or schmaltzy, it's tight, and it's so well produced. It's It doesn't get old, this song, no. ever. Uh, but I'm still
1: as happy to listen to it now as I was when I was first getting into U2 12, 13 years ago. Mm-hmm. This was a time when U2 really wanted to write great, big rock songs that would really come into their own in a live setting. And I think that does that. I think this is a great opening track. I know Elevation opened the shows eventually. But I think they could have just as easily done a you know beautiful day to start off with.
0: Yeah, I like what they achieved with with the elevation start, but obviously a yeah, beautiful day does have such a force behind it.
1: As soon as as soon as I like hear those beginning chords, it really does sound like um, out of control to me. More than any, I know they were trying to, well, maybe for the first time in the career, harkening back to. Yeah, the the early albums, but particularly Out of Control. There's a, a, a similar riff in Out of Control and in Beautiful Day.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, that's because, and here's a guitar geek in me, that's because they're both played on a Gibson Explorer. And this is a song that made me want to buy a Gibson Explorer because this is the tone that I think is quintessentially Edge. I think this is what people think of when they think of you 2 And apparently Edge came back into the studio with this riff and showed... um all the rest of the bandit, and they went oh, we can't use that it's too it's too U2 and then they realized that's such a stupid attitude you know why would you move away from your quintessence as long as you're not sounding cliché then it doesn't matter
1: no there is a, there is um there's elements here of the, of the past like i get there's little bits of zuper and things and yeah um strange sounds in the background it's like traffic noise and things like that and yeah o-wee, o-wee, i mean it's a lot it's a lot clearer it's not as it's not a sonic overload kind of experience like Zappa hmm. wanted to be and and in the most part was. Bono says that he was um, the hardest thing to pull off if you're a painter or a movie director is a beautiful day.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's that was his inspiration for writing the song. You wanted a song that sounded like a beautiful day, and I think it does. I think it, it has that effect. It does take your mind to those kind of places and it is one of those songs that you play in the summer
0: so you'd say it takes you to that other place yeah
1: yeah well done (laughs) um they're using the techniques that they've learned over now a two decade a two decade journey and just pulling it all together and making the best piece of music they can Mm. if i mean i wasn't a u2 fan at this at this point I i was nine years old but if I had been a long-standing U2 fan and I put this this album on for the first time and this was the first track, I can imagine being really excited and and really happy mm. that this is this is what U2 are sounding like now.
0: It, it's it's a positive thing and it gives it gives the fan a lot of hope that the band have still got it. Yeah, and they and they haven't made as significant a break as I think a lot of people might think they have. I think this is less of a break than, say, the, the jump from Rattle and Hum to Acton Baby because, as you said, there are still electronic elements in there. There's still interesting production. Brian Eno has still got his fingers all over this, which is great. Um, and they, But they're just using a sort of clean and very selective approach to el- electronica, whereas, as you said, is much more of a sprawl. I love the sprawl, but this is different, and this is great.
1: Yeah, it's tighter. And I, th- I think the idea behind this whole album was to strip things back and... Um, it's about the band playing together, not necessarily all the different features you can bring into a studio to you know to make a song big. This is just about four guys playing music together, and I think that that really comes across.
0: It does, although I will say it maybe breaks down at certain points in the album, and that'll be interesting to sort of you know think about as we go through. This song has a lyric that I you know it's one of my classic Johnny mishearings, so. um this is where I heard. I've suggested that before. A hearing aid. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> like this, because this is happening too often now. Pardon? What's that, Sonny? Okay, so the um, the lyric that I that I misheard. Um, I always heard it as in a laser hung imagination. What? I don't even know what, what lyric that's supposed to be. Okay, it's that bad of a mishearing. So it's from uh, "You're in the mud." In the maze of her imagination. Yeah. But I thought it was you're in the mud in a laser-hung imagination, which is a bit like Tron if you think about it. No. No. Okay, fine. You never, you never heard it that way. You just heard it always. Always knew what it, what it said. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. It's not a hard
1: song to, to hear.
0: Again, I think that hearing aid needs to be ordered quite soon. Um, <laughs> we'll get Bonavox sound. on the phone. Yes. Yes. Help, Tyler!
1: Johnny, have you been playing with glue again?
0: Yeah, I mean, I just had a little bit of super glue out. I was trying to, you know, do this airfix model. And, it's all uh,
1: over your watch. You're completely stuck in the moment. Yeah, I think it's our moment, isn't it? So track two, stuck in a moment. Uh, you can't. It's called stuck in a moment you can't get out of, isn't it? Needlessly long, that title.
0: Well, I mean, if you're going to talk about needlessly long album titles, I mean, this is the phase of you two where we're getting, you know expanded on yeah, that what's one.
1: wrong with them what, what i wonder that must have been a conscious change to suddenly start having longer titles
0: it's a, i think it's a nice a nice change to make I, I have no problem with it and although it does lead to kind of annoying acronyms like Nloth, which doesn't sound very good in in all ways no. that's a spoiler
1: uh but anyway back to the song um this song written about Michael Hutchence, uh, it's an argument that Bono wishes he could have had with Michael Hutchence when he was contemplating suicide. Um, Michael Hutchence, of course, is the lead singer of In Excess, a band that for a few years at least were considered to be U2's only real contemporary. Um, and there was quite often times chart battles between the two. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: what are your initial thoughts on this song? Um... It's weird, it's not one that I go to straight away. I mean, I don't really dig this song out that much, but I do really, really like it. I think it's, um, it's very uplifting. The horns really carry it later on in the song, and I'm always suspicious of a U2 song that has horns on it. But when it works, it works really well. I mean, yeah. um, uh, Angel of Harlem, this, there are others. Uh, <laughs> Name one, go on. Uh, well, I mean, what is it on October that has horns where it sounds terrible? Is it Jerusalem, with a shout? And it just sort of goes. And it sounds really. That sounded
1: like John Cena was entering
0: the room. <laughs> uh, wrestling fans will enjoy that <laughs> reference. Um, I like the horns on this. I think it's got. It works well here. Edge gets a little kind of solo section. Which I always like. Um, I like hearing his voice um, on its own. Rather than simply just doing backing all the time. Although you know the rarity is what makes it really impressive. I like the fact that at a meta level. This. Contains a kind of a reference to the difficulty of songcraft. So when Bono's talking about being happy with a song that he can sing in his own company, I think his company means himself. You know, because you do no. know if you're if you're producing a mediocre piece of art, if you're a if you're a poet or I don't know, anyone producing any piece of art, um, you know when you're not happy with it, and you're tricking yourself to saying, "Yeah, this is this is okay." You know, when really you're thinking this needs some work here.
1: Yeah, if you could, sometimes it's, it's harder to create something you enjoy than create something other people enjoy
0: yeah exactly and meeting those kind of standards but I think the standards also apply to the band here so he's are seeing in my own company I think that does refer to or it could refer very easily to the band so that collaborative um, project that you two always have where they're able to say this doesn't work this does work I think that's that's a nice kind of uh, meta comment on the band yeah um back to the actual song i mean it's very gospel in its in its kind of tone um i mean it's you two doing gospel well which is good and it just seems to me to be as well as all the references to uh, michael hutchins it's a song about sort of middle class i ex- just ex- <clears throat> that's going to take a run-up middle class existential crisis so it's about getting through difficult times that kind of thing. Um, in that way, it's got a weird kind of um, symbolic or spiritual link to Acrobat as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, they are looking back
0: here. The,
1: through this whole, whole album, you'll hear us say, you know, mention different uh, different albums and different songs. They're definitely looking back. Um, and I think that's because they're experiencing a lot of loss at this point. Uh, obviously, in this song, it's the loss of a friend. In other songs, it's the loss of innocence, um, or the loss of a, of a parent.
0: Or the loss of life later on as well.
1: Yeah. Um, what what really, really fascinates me about this song is it is quite a thin song. It does have a positive message, but it is an argument. Uh, an argument is so often taken to be a negative thing, but it can be a positive thing. There's a lot of love in this song. Hmm. There's a lot of anger and um, a lot of resentment and hate and discomfort, but there is a lot of love, and it comes from a good place. And that's such an interesting juxtaposition within a song. There's there's so much going on here that it's really hard to get down to what this song
0: is, you know, at its very heart. Mm. Because that argument and all the context around this, you know, kind of the the context of someone's death doesn't really match with the tone that you would expect from a song like that. Again,
1: and a pop song as well, a pop song that was played freely on the radio, incredibly successful too. Um, For for a long time, and he's probably they've got two videos, one of which is I think a really good the Super Bowl. Oh, you prefer the Super Bowl. one? I prefer the Super Bowl. Super Bowl video. That video actually is the reason I bought a U two record because I I saw it one night on MTV, Hmm. and then the next day I went and bought a U two record.
0: Fair enough.
1: Um, But there's there's all this, and but it's just it is a good song. It's not. It's not dreary and it's not depressing. Uh, the more you look into it, then that message will you know, get to you. But it's a good song, on uh, just on the surface, without going too deep into it.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think what you're saying about this being an argument that is positive, if we can swing into my little weird Bono father-dad theory here, this is where I think we have a more fatherly style Bono here, giving advice, telling... Um, Someone that they you know they don't need certain things they need perseverance, that kind of thing now, whether that's whether he's the right person to be giving that advice or not, I think that's the kind of tone I get you I get from this this song
1: yeah, I think that the, the point um the, is is that when you swap when you begin to look after your parents hmm. and you kind of become the parent yeah is, is that the kind of idea you're going with? I don't know. I mean, not necessarily. Just knowing what was, you know, what was actually going on at the time of the writing of this album, with Bono's father being ill.
0: Uh, well, I guess that that might be something um, that could easily apply to this, and obviously we'll pick that up on the next album as well. But yeah, I think this is more of Bono in that fatherly mould, and you know, giving more advice. And maybe this is one of the things that contributes to a perception of didacticism in the band that really begins in the 2000s. So the kind of general reaction to you two of who does Bono think he is telling us to do this, that and the other. But I think the lightness of this song really carries through and it'd be difficult to really say that about this song.
1: Yeah, it's a song that encourages communication. It's not a song to... to, He's not trying to tell you what to do. He's just trying to communicate and Mm -hmm. I think show that other people have have been there and you know offer help if he can
0: yeah and there's real love there as well. I think that's probably at the heart of the song, as yeah. you said before. The only sort of nerdish thing I wanted to add to that is you know when bono really strains on that um at all and it's straight you know it, it sort of you know he h- brings out the word at all, and then going into the chorus, he says a word right so in your mind, flip back to that bit before the chorus, he says a sort of word that's half pronounced. what do you hear that as, oh Lord? I think. Oh, Lord. Okay. Yeah. Well, this is another classic uh, Little Red Men, Little Bam Bam, Little Baby mishearing, because I think he says ready. I... You're looking unconvinced. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I am, because that's ludicrous. And ready I'm not I'm not going to take that? any advice from a man who so often <laughs> mishears uh, "Plain to see lyrics. So, no, no, I'm right. Of course I'm right. Um, and you should consult me from now on whenever you have any of these mishaps.
0: I'm passing off into my laser-hung imagination where I'm not so judged. Elevation. Hmm. Yeah, okay. So that's actually a good way to start because I've always been sort of baffled by the... I don't know how you refer to them, the woos in this song, okay? Um, ever since putting on this this album... I was sort of amazed at how someone's voice could do that now i had not had a lot of experience with lots of different singers then so i didn't really get what ranges were you know falsetto that kind of thing i just thought okay i know what bono's voice is like what it can do that as well so that was that was kind of my reaction um so i i love this song and it's a joyfully knowingly dumb rock song and i like that
1: yeah uh you two went to um one of the key producers Danny Lamoir and said Danny we need rock songs we need rock songs that are, you know, just to play uh live shows with mm-hmm. um so largely this, this album is built up of rock songs for the stadium or for the arena and so that was really the mission and at least part of the, the the sessions recording this album uh and this is one of the songs that came out of those sessions it's the most pop song as in pop the album the previous album on on this album
0: yeah I'd agree with that fair enough um,
1: there's a lot of things hanging over from it uh, it was used for the soundtrack for the Tomb Raider movie um, quick sidebar
0: which version do you prefer most it
1: has, been, it has been a while since I've listened to all the different versions okay fair enough um I even forgot about the video with, with Evil U2, where they look amazing. And Adam is dressed yeah. almost like uh, the guy from The Matrix. Dastardly U2, yeah. I, um, I really love that. I love that they were being so playful. It's like they didn't just stop that all that, the antics of the 90s and dressing up like Mephisto and the Fly. Yeah, They they couldn't just stop that. They had to kind of carry it on a little bit, but maybe hmm. in a, a, a more subtle way.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think this song is bound to the evil U2 in some ways. I think that the sound that Edge has got there is is a sort of, you know, kind of, it's so gritty. If they
1: were the megalomaniacs that everybody accused them of being, that, that that's the kind of U2 that would exist mm. these days, I think.
0: I'd love to imagine a sort of, yeah, a dark version of All You Can't Leave Behind just made by the evil U2. Yeah. But that's maybe uh, another fantasy for another day. So, sorry, Tyler, I've interrupted you on elevation.
1: Um, no, it's, it's okay. Um, so, yeah they wanted songs that, were, that was going to tra- transport the audience to euphoria um, I have a question though if Elevation was an attempt to get uh, to get right what they felt they got wrong with songs like Disco Tech in the 90s does this does, have they achieved what they wanted here? Is this um, a better version, a better song than, than songs like Disco Tech? Or is it completely different? Because I see them as as pretty similar
0: um, I personally prefer Tech. I think it's a more rich and interesting song. But if you're talking about success, well, then I guess maybe Discotech wins as well because it, w- it went to number one. Mm. But then I don't think you could open the tour with discotech in the way that they did with Elevation and that incredible, you know, house lights up. You know, we're just coming out with a band. Don't worry, there's no lemons hanging around. We're here. We're going to rock. Yeah. It's just hard to say. It had to
1: had to see this song coming out at any other time in U2's career. This is a case of it has to be now. Um, mm. And and but it, I think it is kind of trying to get pop right.
0: Yeah, I think in that they're trying to do some interesting textures um, and have a really upbeat song. And it is a pop song. I mean, it's it's got the catchy verses with the kind of brainless lyrics, mole digging in a hole. Lyrics that drive some people bananas, but the thing is, you it's not saying that it's meant to be, uh, this isn't trying to be something I'm looking for, or something like that. This is you two having some fun. So, eating my bananas, wearing my pajamas, (laughs) that kind of lyric. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably (laughs) one of the lyrics that was on the cutting room floor. Um, It wouldn't surprise me. There's a brilliant documentary, uh, you can see a clip of it on YouTube very easily, of Ed showing what he's actually doing underneath that, you know, that effects pedal mm. and he's just moving from sort of one note to the other. And it's that kind of thing that annoys um some guitar fans and really makes me love The Edge.
1: It's kind of like the Bill Bailey um yeah. skit of him.
0: Yeah, and that is another sketch which I really like but is completely misunderstood. A by idiots who are very anti U two, and by people who can't take a joke who are so pro U two that they can't. understand. I, I was a
1: U two fan when I saw that Bill Bailey stand up, yeah. and um, it, it was funny.
0: Yeah, it is funny. It's a funny joke.
1: A, lo- a lot of um U two's riffs are quite simplistic.
0: Yeah, it's just the way that they're
1: produced, but and, they've and never created. hidden that fact.
0: No, exactly. And uh, just never come out and pretended to be, uh, you know, someone like Steve Vai. You know, no. um, okay. What is this song about? It's about moles digging in holes.
1: I I, I'm willing to accept that meaning. It doesn't. I've looked through the lyrics and I just my mind can't even come up with a concept for this song.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I'm being facetious there. I think it is about. I think it's just about okay. Let's do a song that will bring everyone up and into a space where you know it's it's, again taking them to that other place. It's about getting everyone's spirits up, basically. I mean, that sounds like it's sort of like a song from the Blitz but um i mean it's it's a bit in it's a bit, there's a bit of inspiration in the, in
1: the song there's hmm. a, a, the idea maybe there's an idea of I, I don't know a young couple who have found each other and they inspire each other to do you know lift me up out of these blues yeah that that kind of thing but it's it's a pretty shallow song it is it's just a live song i, th- the, I think
0: the thing, yeah no it is a it's a really good live song i wouldn't say it's, i wouldn't say it's just a live song i think it it is what it is. Like like popcorn is not steak, right? And it's, and popcorn isn't cheese, right? This is popcorn. It's light. It's airy. Makes you feel happy. But that's about it. You know, it's 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 sort of it's there and it's done. It's yeah. not like a rich experience or anything like that. Um, and I think that's what they set out to achieve. They said, Danny Lamoire, we want popcorn, not cheese or steak. And he went, I'll see what you, see what I can do. But I don't really understand. And this is not my producer's job last point on elevation, and this is where my Bono uh, dad-father theory comes into action here. When, I mean, then this is a question, when you hear um, Bono in the background, in you know, when he's not in the main part of the verses, saying really quietly, kind of, check it out, like that kind of thing, right? I, n- I can never hear the end of that. I really hope he's not saying, check it out when you see me on the dance floor, or anything like that. But do you hear that bit in the song? I, I do, That's but Bono, I, the dad. I don't want
1: to say what I think The the lyric is is because I know I've got it wrong. Oh, okay, right. I know I've got it wrong. I've just never looked it up. Well, what do you hear it? And I've never thought how stupid it is until now. Go on. Uh, Shake it up now, wiggle your partner.
0: (laughs) I mean, it could be. It could very well
1: be. Um, And that is what I've thought it said since the very first time I listened to it. But now saying it
0: on a podcast, it sounds ridiculous. Wiggle your partner. But this is what I'm saying. This is where I slightly cringe a little bit and I think this is not Bono the statesman-like father this is Bono the dad and you think oh god because I don't want him anymore saying check it out when you see me on the dance floor or anything like that I, I, Yeah, but I, I would keep it in the song for all, for all I'm saying I'm just saying that this is the interesting alternation that goes on in this, uh, in this album
1: Okay so we move on to track four Walk On first thing i want to say is there's uh, a little bit that you might not have noticed in this song is the piano it's very quiet on the album version but on the single version it's it's either turned
0: up or it's completely
1: re-recorded i'm not sure which
0: one do you think that is um probably either turned up or or layered over it you know it's probably something they recorded at the time and thought we'll just ease that back for the album version i know there were different discussions you know about how was the best way to introduce this? Personally, prefer the single mix.
1: Yeah, so do I. And uh, the album version is actually a lot longer than all the other mixes. I think there's four mixes of this song in total.
0: Oh God, they've not stopped doing the same thing off pop where they've not been happy with things.
1: But this is a really good and interesting song, so I'd like to see that experimentation. And like, it's it's nice that sometimes with a, a U two album, you don't get the finished product. You get an offering, and then when you buy the single, you know, you, um, you get another alternate version and you can literally decide which one you prefer but you can you can see it's almost like in a mass test you can see their workings (laughs) um so i i really like that they've remixed this song it's not it's not gratuitous it's just it's it's just them trying to get it right for the audience and so I i really do like that yeah um This is one of my favourite songs. Now, I know I seem to say that on every episode, and I may need (laughs) to go back and listen to all the rest and actually make a list of my favourite songs. Uh, There's probably about three albums worth. But I have a tattoo of this, of the logo for this song on my foot. So that just shows you my dedication to this song. Um, Bono explained that this song is about nobility personal sacrifice and about doing what's right even if your heart is telling you otherwise. And with the power that this song well the, the things that this song has achieved over the
0: time, yeah. it, that's that's quite interesting. It's been a very politically engaged song in various contexts.
1: Yeah, but it's not over the top. It's not like a Sunday bloody Sunday. It's not obvious what the, what the meaning about what the meaning is.
0: Yeah, it can be applied to lots and lots of different political causes. Again, this is a, is one of the quintessential songs that I think made the album such a success in that post nine eleven context. Yeah, um, it's so uplifting. This we keep going back to
1: these, these ideas of positivity uh, and optimism, and this song is absolutely you know filled with it. Uh, I think the reason this song means so much to me is the fact. That it showed me as a thirteen or fourteen year old boy, however old I was when I got into U two, that no matter how bad things things can be or how messed up things can be, there's there's positivity to be gained from realizing what's important and you know learning how to follow your heart. And mm. that whenever I listen to this song, I'm still taken back to that. You know, I feel like that that young that young kid. So it's it's a really powerful song for me.
0: Yeah, I think. Um... Yeah, I agree with everything you're saying there in terms of um, how it does sort of have this kind of resilience and optimism to it. I mean, I've got kind of, yeah, all my notes sort of say sunny, optimism, that kind of thing. Again, it's a little bit like acrobat in its sentiment. And I think this is one of the occasions where Edge is sounding, you know, quintessentially. I've said that word bit, at least three times now, and I'm not happy about that. <laughs> but I think this is where Edge has really got a very classic sound and to me that in in the same way that i think the fly is the heart of acting baby and um mofo is the heart of pop i think this is the heart of this album i think if there's one song that really kind of sums it all up it is it is this one and that's maybe why there's that heart of the in the suitcase logo that's you know attached you know to this and to my thoughts and to your thoughts yeah um one of the weird things that i um i always notice in this is larry injects a lot of energy into this song, um, by doing sort of tom-based drum fills all the way through the um, the verses. So if it's he could have just done such a standard drum beat to this, but he's going you know, all the way through. And again, that's that's where there's a subtle but really effective bit of drum work going on, and it should it should get mentioned. I also like the um the hymn-like backing vocals that you know kind of emerge later on when um when Bono's saying home, you know, you've got this kind of, yeah, choral kind of backing. It sounds very hymn-like. And this is a new sound, I think, for you two, which does get repeated in various places on this album. It's so...
1: It's so impressive, the maturity. I'm gonna, like, you said that it sounds like older tracks from previous albums, and it does, but it's almost as if all the other albums were learning experiences. Like, if this album had been the last one, I think you could have been very happy with that. Yeah. If that's where they decided, no, this is where we, we we're going to draw the line. We don't know how to be you two anymore. Hmm. We don't know where to take this. I don't think you could complain with the package that you got. I think I think that would have been a a, a really good place to stop.
0: And would make sense within the band's narrative as well. Um, what they say about their albums because the next album is where they talk about, you know, this is our first album. That was Bono's kind of spiel for. For marketing that, so yeah, it would work with what you're saying there. Uh,
1: one final point uh, I, I think the reason this song isn't con- consistently associated with U2, like when you, when you say to a, a non U2 fan, a non Anorak, when you you know name a U2 song and they'll go Beautiful Day or With Without You or Where the Streets Have No Name or One, the, the reason this song doesn't have that. That, that same reputation is because it was, I think it's the, it was the last song released um, as a single from the album mm-hmm. and the other three were just so hugely successful. I think it was just a case of we're sick of you two at this point. And, and, and I think, and I think it's a shame because it's, it is such a good song and it, and it deserves to be heralded as one of the great U2 songs, but people just don't know what it is. Hmm. Unless they've listened to the album.
0: I guess, yeah, there was a saturation of excellent songs. So once you... And I think...
1: It's not were, even as as if it's a, a worse song than those.
0: No. Kite. This is a very simple song, certainly in terms of its chord structure. If I was being mean, I would say um, you can tell that because um, Bono has a guitar which is actually audible, on uh, the elevation dvd so you can tell he's actually playing it and it's not it's not stretching basically as a as a song having said that it's made absolutely transcendent by the production and by all the the choices that are made here so you've got a nice you know big sound um with edge on the slide all of the um kind of organs that that exist in the in the background um i think it's an organ anyway um it makes this song add up to something huge even though it's so simple at its heart and that's not a bad thing at all that's why you've got um the melody in the chorus that sounds like one of those kind of eternal melodies you two are always talking about the fact that you can get in the way of a song or the the song is already there you just have to you know get into it and find it and that who's to say where the wind will take you the melody for, for the chorus is it's brilliant
1: yeah it's, it's a really beautiful song um I don't I I think they made the right call not releasing this one as a single.
0: Yeah, it's a bit too laid back, I would say in terms of pace. But it's it's it's
1: great. I mean, you've had what is this, track 5, and you've, you know, you kind of needed that, you know, just that breath. Yeah. Uh but it is a lovely song and it's a lovely song live as well. It 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 translates, well, quieter songs sometimes don't. Mm. Um but it's it's very singable, it's very hummable. Yeah. Um it's it's very accessible as as a song. Um it's and it's filled with positivity, like like a lot of this album. What 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 meaning do you put on this?
0: I I mean again this is something that I attached a lot of meaning to when I was but purely because I didn't have that many CDs. Um so I think I just mainly focused on the um on the chorus and the fact that there was a great openness to this I mean, it's very difficult actually when you try and nail down a any kind of, you know, succinct lyrical meaning to it. I mean, who's to say where the wind will take you? Who's to say what it is will break you? I don't know which way the wind will blow. Who's to know when the time has come around? I don't want to see you cry. I know that this is not goodbye. You're not doing the whole album, are you? Uh yes, I'll be doing that and uh <laughs> you can buy that on iTunes for <laughs> seventeen ninety nine. Um No, um but it, but the thing is that it's not really a sort of an obvious story being told here it's again more optimism more emphasis on you know freedom the freedom of a kite just sort of blowing around in the in the breeze really i am a bit more cynical now which makes it more difficult for me to appreciate the song i think i was able to be swept up with the energy and the kind of the optimism of the lyrics when i was younger um so a line when bono's singing i'm a man not a child his voice sounds good and i think it's again sort of feeds into that idea that you two are maturing and the. Accepting that, you know, he's not a boy anymore. Um, having said that, Bono coming out and singing I'm a Man, Not a Child in that way, I just I don't particularly enjoy listening to that as much as I le- enjoy listening to Edge's guitar solo in this, for example.
1: Right. Well, as a singer, that is an ama- a, a really, really amazing part of this song. Completely agree. Um, but going back to the meanings, um, I do think. There's a persona here that's imploring um, a lover or a loved one, at least, to take courage, um, achieve potential, and have the heart to face up to a situation.
0: Do, do, would you get that? Again, I think that's the kind of the, it's the fatherly advice that I think um, you know we see in, in other places on the album, maybe stuck in a moment. Um, so yeah, I would agree with that.
1: Uh, Edge believes that the lyrics for this are more about Bono's father. Bono thought that it was about. Um, he took his two girls up um, to, I think, Dublin Bay or some, somewhere like that to fly a kite, and it was that experience. The kite didn't fly, and then he remembered having a similar experience with his father, mm. and so that's the the well, the meaning as Bono would say it. Who's to say whether he's right or wrong? Yeah. Um, but whatever the meaning is, whatever meaning you put on the song. It's undeniable, undeniable that this is just—it's just one of those great, beautiful U two songs, and it's—it's it's kind of a song that only U two can do. You don't—you don't really hear other people doing these kinds of these kinds of songs.
0: Um, I would agree, but I would say that um, something I was thinking about before when we were saying how it's it wasn't released as a single. If you gave this song, if they wrote this song and then gave it to someone else, I don't know who. I mean, any suggestions would probably be stupid, like uh, Brian Adams or something like that, right? <laughs>
1: But they'd make it smushy and 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 horrible, and, <laughs> and it would be too sentimental.
0: I, well, I'm I'm not saying that that wouldn't happen, but what what I am saying is that that would still be a big hit single, I think, for that person just because of how good the melody is. Yeah. So, yeah, at the moment you two are on an absolute high, if we're tracking the progress of this album, they are absolutely knocking it out of the park. They're doing different things. They're achieving an epic scale. This is a huge song. Um, and although I personally don't particularly like the "I'm a man, not a child" bit, the the production is great, and it sounds so huge.
1: I I would l- whenever I've sung that song, and I think have we I think we covered this on Drunken Night. Sounds like it. Um, but it's just a, one of those great things, and you you worry whether you're going to be able to hit those notes, and then when you do, there's just this you know this power, the kind of adrenaline rush that you know that hits you. So as a singer, I cannot completely
0: understand why Bonner wanted to sing it that way in a little while now this is where the epic scale that has been achieved so far in the album is dramatically pulled back down to the scale of i would say a hungover bedroom there's a lot more intimacy there's a lot more closeness here and that is not a bad thing at all i think it's good that the album is changing up a little bit because one more epic song here might have fallen a little bit flat there's only so much of that that you can take this is what I would call relaxed but effortlessly good songwriting.
1: Uh, I, I agree; it's, it's everything you just said. Um, but this is my Bonavox time because I have misheard okay. a lyric.
0: Oh, right! This is your. I thought you said. I thought you were gonna sing.
1: Uh, God, I am so hard. <laughs> <laughs> No, but thanks for that. Um, the lyric, uh, the actual lyric, is "Man dreams one day to fly."
0: Yeah, that's what I've always heard it as.
1: Yeah, that is the lyric. Okay, mine was "Man's dream won't pay to fly." Right, going with a kind of an Icarus kind of. Okay. Like, yeah. Like, like if if you know if men dream to fly and then they do.
0: Well, they take a rocket ship up into the yeah. sky. Don't so they? so yeah, that fits. Fair enough. So
1: that 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 was the lyric I thought I heard, and you know maybe it's better, but whatever, Bono, do what you want. <laughs> um. Right, you know, very right at the end of the song, I'm sure there's a the sound of a motorbike starting. I've never heard that, but it's just like this. I don't know if it's a bit of distortion, but it just sounds like a, a motorbike starting in the distance or something. Um, and oh, um, um, it made me wonder if like this was the last song they recorded and Larry was halfway at the door,
0: could be on his Harley one foot
1: on the bass drum, one, <laughs> one foot on the kick pedal,
0: off on his hog. <laughs> yeah, um, one thing I will say about this and, and I really like about it is that, um in that first opening riff that Edge has you can hear um the guitar string shake a little bit because it's been fretted in a way that isn't 100% you know kind of clean and standard that you were doing in the in the Well in the that's
1: song. how guitars make sounds. Uh the guitarist will pluck a string and the string will shake and yes, vibrate. Yes. But it's vibrating in it a happens. special
0: way, right? So his finger is almost like a, the way that your finger is close but not really pressing down the string in a harmonic. Something similar is happening. Um, so if you listen to that first riff it goes like that which is this interesting (laughs) sound um that sound again is (laughs) like that kind of thing sounds doesn't sound good when i do but i like that so maybe that could be the um the sort of sound that you might be hearing about it but that's the thing it's it's quite relaxed so it's not a problem that isn't completely you know clean in its recording um this song is um, has been, you know, it's a, again, it's another classic U two hangover song, and I think I like the the sound, the way that Bono's voice sounds like he's been up drinking. For it's a bit hours melodramatic.
1: He's well, he's having huge problems with his voice at this point, mm.
0: so you cover that over by saying, "No, that's intentional. That's yeah. why my voice is cracking and straining," but it works for this song. I it mean. reminds
1: me of uh, Staring at the Sun. Interesting. So I think there's a similar tone in there.
0: Yeah, I can see that definitely. I will say I prefer this song live, if only. And this is a really, really, you know, kind of small detail. But on the album version, Bono says, oh, "For God's sake, why do I go into these avenues of conversation where it means I'm going to have to approximate Bono's voice?" Right. So he goes, he he puts an ah before his who sound. Okay, you know the the sort of falsetto thing that he does. <laughs> Okay, right, I, I almost got that note, yeah. Almost, uh, no cigar, I think is the, uh, <laughs> the phrase, but anyway. Um, I'd prefer it on the live version where it just sort of starts with almost with a Y sound, so it's just going you again. Yeah. <sighs> I regret my decisions, um, <laughs> but yeah, really small just point. helping
1: you out, blood.
0: The more important thing is that this is a song that acts as. Um, not only of kind of romantic love song, um, but as a tribute to Joey Ramone, or at least it, it lives on as that now because it was the last song Joey Ramone heard apparently um, before he passed away. And I think it's um, that connection between you two and the Ramones. That's not funny. What are you laughing about?
1: I'm laughing at Joey Ramone. I'm not laughing at Joey Ramone being in the hospital, but the situation in my head is Joey Ramone is the. In his leather jacket. Is, is on his deathbed. And in comes Bono with a guitar, and Joy's like, "Oh
0: God, here he is again! Not this guy again!
1: Yeah, <laughs> him and his punk band."
0: Yeah, um, but I think that is—I um, think it's a really nice connection. That this I think it's a special a, moment.
1: I mean, yeah, we we all have our fate. If we could um, play a song for Bono. You know, on his deathbed, that would be amazing for us,
0: but it's quite a lot of pressure though, isn't it? I it, mean it is yeah, it importance. is a lot of pressure, but I mean if you if you mess that up then it's not very it's not very good, is it? And if I mean and if someone flatlines during the middle of the song, that's only going to be taken as criticism.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Last thing to say about this song, and back to my dad father theory. Um this is a moment where Bono is saying uh, the line, Turn Me On, and it's coming across quite sensual. I'm not a fan of that either. I think this is again, or at least it's not that I'm not a fan of it, it's just that this is where Bonham is coming across more of an an embarrassing dad kind of figure rather than, you know, the kind of statesman like father figure. Um, So I wouldn't take it out of the song, but it's a. Do you you think it's a bit weird, Tyler? I know the bit you're on about, and I think I, strangely enough, um,
1: my dad's office was very close to my bedroom at home. And I think, I always remember, you know, feeling a bit funny singing that part of the song, (laughs) but you can't sing the rest of the song. And then like, you know, Oh, have your parents go, Oh, I wonder why he stopped singing. It must've been a a lyric. He doesn't want to sing in front of us. It's almost worse if you don't sing it. Okay. So the next track is wild honey, quite a minimalistic track. Uh, Bono shows a lot of restraint. Um, and it, it only makes it stronger i think there's um other times like an elevation where they've you know thrown everything at, at a track this one's quite you know it's quite held back and it's quite nice
0: yeah it's quite mellow and beatlesy um i think i agree that they begin in this kind of um low key kind of way it's very acoustic-y, you know um but the problem i would say is that the middle section of this song becomes weird because they then return to the kind of epic scale that they were using on the first five songs. And I'm happy with there being a transition period in the album, maybe three songs or so, where they're dipping down into a more intimate setting. Um, The previous song does that brilliantly. But that's why this middle section is just a bit... I don't like it. And Bono is straining here. I don't think...
1: I really like Wild Honey. I like that his voice is being... It is minimalistic, but like... There's there's a crescendo, I suppose you call it, when oh. Bono is, you know, really
0: trying to belt it
1: out. And I really like that and I think the lyrics are really strong.
0: I think it's only a crescendo if it achieves something good. What do you think in that crescendo he is saying? Because I've never been able to hear it properly and I have the lyrics. I think here. the first bit is what is love? Um Maybe don't hurt me.
1: No. And I don't know what the next bit is. I don't know what
0: the next bit is. do so you know which section I'm saying the bit with yeah. the kind of where he's really straight, yeah, where he's okay, he goes into that tenor kind of style, well, I don't know what the range is, but uh no, I don't like it, and he's saying, "Ooh soul, love, give me soul, which ties into the whole um you know yeah. all is soul thing, but I'd love that bit, but I can't hear what he's saying, and neither can you, so it's it's badly done, but it's a good bit to sing along to. But if you're not singing the right words, you're just making a noise. I
1: I just I I really like this song. I think it's there, there are other songs on this this album which aren't don't reach you know great heights. But I, Wild Honey as
0: an album track is pretty good. I I just think they don't need to reach the great heights on this, and it's not terrible. I just also think it's not necessary on this album. I don't think it's it should be here and there is a song I would replace it with which is Summer Rain. If you want a nice upbeat no, acoustic song.
1: No because Summer Rain is is just Beautiful Day reworked. It sounds too much like Beautiful Day.
0: Uh I don't think that's true.
1: I, and I'm a f- big fan of Summer Rain. I'm a big fan of Always which is the hmm. to complete the Beautiful Day trilogy. Um hmm. three songs out of one riff. Um
0: I don't see where you find in the the Summer riff uh, the Summer <laughs> the Summer Rain uh Summer Rain,
1: Always, and Beautiful Day. We are talking about B-sides now. Um, Uh-oh. Which maybe we'll get to. Um, they all came from Beautiful Day. They're all the same song.
0: But, well, always, that's undeniable. And I, I admit the, there's probably chords that are similar there. I just think that Summer Rain is is its own thing in and of itself. Like I think you can have songs which... I mean, think about The Fly, even better The Real Thing, um, Ultraviolet all stand up by themselves, or is it Mysterious Ways? Anyway, they all come from Lady with a Spinning Head, all sound great. Um, So I think Summer Rain fits here better than Wild Honey. Wild Honey is more like tame bitterness to me. I
1: think Summer Rain would have um, slowed the album down too much. I I prefer Wild Honey. Listeners,
0: what do you think? Get in touch. Peace on Earth. And this is a song that Bono said was written on the same day of the Omar bombing when uh, there was a enormous and very high fatality bombing carried out by people opposed to the Good Friday Agreement. It's a song that is rooted in that particular context very clearly. And the problem with, with this is that the song has a gravity and a weight that other songs like um, Cedarwood or... Sunday Bloody Sunday have, but to be honest, I don't really like the actual song. And we've got to review the songs, you know, as actual songs as well as you know statements about really grave events and interventions in discussions that need to be done that need to be conducted. And I get that there's a weariness, and that there was just some kind of attempt to engage with this and make sense of it. But I'm not a fan of the actual song bit of the song.
1: Well, I think I think it's a
0: very tough.
1: Thing to try and write a song about you know something that, that evokes so many different emotions and so many you know t- different types of anger and and senses of loss and, and something that affects so many people in so many different ways um, it's it is it's hard to write a song about something like that and actually it fully encapsulate all those different meanings mm. Um well, I think I think this song comes from a good place, and it's it's not an angry song. It's 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 a, it's a, it's he's but a Bono here is burring his heart, asking you know asking quite honestly for peace on earth, um, so that you know trying to be rational so that this, this doesn't happen again. You know that it, it's much easier to talk and to communicate. Mm. Um, now, obviously, a lot of these things do happen because people feel like they're not being heard. Um, so they'll, you know, make a, you know, try and make an example, and do things like this. But it's not, it's not a political song, I don't think. It's just, it's, it's asking for unity.
0: It's not a, um,
1: a, a religious not, unity at that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly not a kind of, um, it's not a counter kind of, you know, argument in political terms, uh, to the IRA or anything like that. Um, but it is asking for, yeah, peace on. On every side. I mean, it's again you two with the white flag rather than a flag of any you know any particular allegiance. Yeah. Um. And I I think there is a weariness here. Same Bono as I think, or a similar Bono as I think, appeared on uh, Wake Up Dead Man. You've got that line: uh, "Jesus, we throw. Uh, Jesus, you know, we throw drowning man a line." And this is again where I think the sense of okay, if how is my sorry, is my a sense of how can um you know there be this kind of you know swelling kind of love for christianity and these these ideas of a benevolent kind of you know christ existing with such bloodshed um and you know there were there were two people who had unborn babies that died in this um bombing so it's a horrific incident as well as the 29 other people who were killed so it's about asking why is how can the world be in this shape and square with with faith? And as usual, I don't think this is Bono moving to a state of outright atheism. It's more a, a kind of plaintive song about doubt, you know. Well, if I can skip ahead a little bit
1: to um, Slane Castle, mm-hmm. when you two played that very emotional gig, uh, and they they took Sunday Bloody Sunday, and Bono says three years since Omar turn this song into a prayer um that's what this song is the prayer this you know Mm. this song is nothing to do it's not a rebel song it's not it's not um an angry song it's a prayer it's a prayer for peace and it's not a prayer to a god it's a prayer to the people that are here and Mm. here and now you know you you have the choice you know you, you you can be part of them or you can be part of us and that's a, a, a thing that will a, a theme that will continue to recur in u two's message and u two's songs um it's it's not them versus us it's us mm. and we need to learn to get along with us uh and it's so it's, it's really powerful it's, it's a powerful message maybe the song doesn't isn't you know the best example of u2 um spreading that
0: message well i mean i would like to talk i mean that's But the i thing. think
1: trying to spread the message yeah the is att- better than than not
0: yeah the attempt is brilliant um i mean but if we go just if we focus um on the actual song itself i don't particularly i think the production is polished but i, I it also sounds a little bit christmasy with the kind of you know like it's, it's almost like a sleigh bell sound i always it's think more of a, a christian Christmas song, song. Uh,
1: rather than a Christmas song, there maybe the two are a little bit intertwined.
0: Correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't there a little Christmas tree as the image for this on the you know the album? I think you are right with that one. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, maybe that's what's influencing me. And this again is um, when I was young. Again, this album, I would flick through and I'd learn all the different symbols to the to the songs. So. When we, Christ- when we do the
1: Christmas episode, are we, are we putting this on? But like talking about it as a Christmas song
0: rather than maybe. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's more of a Greg Lake than a Slade if we're if we're going to talk about <laughs> Christmas songs. Um, but apparently the the production to this was quite um, quite rushed as well, yeah. which doesn't really help.
1: Well, you know, there's there's that thing in in wanting to get the the initial thought an intention out there Mm. and the more you chip away at things the less like the original idea you know it is so i I can understand why why the whole you know
0: Mm. thing would have been rushed but if this was a song in a totally different context say it was written five years before or five years after with no relation to the particular context um just in terms of the chords i mean would you be and the melodies would you be a fan of it because i don't think i would be Certainly not next to a kite or a walk-on. I don't
1: know. I don't turn it off, so I, I, I can't hate it that much.
0: Yeah, I mean, my, my summary is I love the sentiment. I like the fact that they include the names of people. And again, it's about people, not just ideas. Um, but I, I don't like the actual melody and the construction of it.
1: When I look at the world... Again, nice song. A little less positive than some of the other songs on the album. The, there's two lyrics that that got me with this bit and the first one is people find all kinds of things that bring them to their knees. Hmm. Now, already avoiding the religious but it can also be religious this song. That, you know, they're, they're saying this, this is whatever hmm. you know, this is a song for whatever you want it to be and it's not I think the main persona in the song is failing, or at least wishing to see the world a different way. Uh, Having found somebody who sees the world in an enviable way, and can find some happiness or some some contentment in the world. And I think that's an interesting thought, because oftentimes we look at people and they do seem to be in a better place. You know, they're living Mm -hmm. in the same world, in the same town, you know, lives aren't really that similar but they're they're so much happier with what they have with the hand they've been dealt than than you are and and it's easy to get complacent but i I think this is a a really nice song about just asking for help rather than criticizing somebody else
0: yeah i i completely agree i think this is um the persona definitely is in a sense of weariness, because there are all sorts of reasons that you, could, you know, can be brought to your knees. Uh, joy, love, you know, proposing, weariness, or But I think it is that, that sense of just being knackered, basically, being tired with the world. Yeah, it's a tragedy of a song, I think. And I think that's why I actually identify a lot more with this song as I've gotten older. I mean, I'm saying gotten older, I'm not yet 30. <laughs> um, so I'm not trying to sound pretentious and world-weary at this age. But... I do identify more with this persona who has someone in their life who sees the world in a lot more positive terms, whereas they might tend towards pessimism. So, yeah, I think it's a great song, and I think it's one that is a bit forgotten. I mean, this is not a live staple in in any way. No. And it's not one that I think a lot of people know about. The other reason I think this song is brilliant... It's very
1: personal, I think, and it's very personal to you too. Yeah. So I think it's... It's a, a song that only the fans w- will
0: understand, um, and only a particular type of fan as well. I mean, maybe some U two fans who fall into the other camp of optimism might not, yeah, you know, relate to this as much. Yeah, the idea of the tragedy on this this
1: album, you know, it's you can't avoid it. As much as as, as optimistic as it is in parts, and uh, positive as it is in parts. That optimism and that positivity is reacting towards tragedies. And, um, you know, you think of Michael Hutchence, uh Bob Hewson dying of, of cancer, children maturing and not needing parents anymore. All that positivity is reacting to those things. It's it's not letting yourself get like, bogged down with,
0: with grief and trying to find the courage to move, move on. But this isn't a melancholy song in that way. I mean, it's a good thing. It's always a positive thing to create something. So yeah. even if it is a song where you're complaining about the fact or you're just expressing the fact that you feel weary and that you can't see the world in positive terms, that's still a positive thing. And when Bono's voice is breaking when he you know,
1: screams that, I can't wait any longer, I can't wait till I'm stronger. Yeah. I think everybody's felt like that. So it's very per- it's very personal, this, this mm. song. Uh, and you can just put your your own meaning to it. It's very, it's not about any one particular thing. Um, and I think the you two fans that genuinely do care about, you know, the band, um, not not just as a source of entertainment, mm. then they will they will find something really good in this song.
0: Yeah, the expression I think that Bono is giving the, to that sentiment. I think that's also mirrored, and this is the only thing I really wanted to say. In addition, um, is mirrored by Edge's um, guitar here. You know, when he when he reaches that kind of you know solo, it's the same. It feels again weary, um, doggedly persistent, and almost like a yeah, like a, a cry for help in, in some sort of way. But it's also interesting that Edge is still producing unique guitar textures and styles here. I've not heard a U2 song that sounds like this before. And it, it's maybe a song that you can think about when it becomes a little simple, that narrative that, oh yeah, oh you can't leave behind, that's just a return to a classic U2 sound. Yeah, to a certain extent. But there's some really interesting guitar stuff here, um, both you know in the intro riff um, and in the solo. So I just want to highlight that they're still doing good stuff here. They're still being innovative. They're not playing it safe. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that new york
1: that one uh
0: no it's not a cover um it's yeah a song which is a bit divisive i think for a lot of youtube fans now i never really understood because i never really got the whole tradition that new york has with you know singing and you know the place and old blue eyes himself and that kind of thing um So I didn't have a problem with this. Um, I just thought it was a cool song. It starts off with a really cool drum pattern from uh, Larry, uh, or some sort of loop, which is more of a... It's just an interesting kind of almost dance beat. It it wouldn't be out of place on pop, to be honest. You've got Eno contributing that... um, You know, kind of um, (laughs) sound. I don't know, but go on. Well, that's the sound. You know what sound I'm talking about. The kind of haunting sound that's through it. Yeah, yeah, fine. Um, <laughs> and then um, Edge feels like he's been let off the leash here. Um, I guess in this song and the last one, when the actual riff comes in, you know, the it's so good and it's such a big sound. But some people hate this song because of all the references. What, what do you think, Tyler? What well, are you up to? There's with far
1: few, ref- far fewer references in it in, this, in its complete form than. Um... Than Bono wanted. Bono wanted to have a, a verse in there about Lou Reed and a verse about um, Frank Sinatra. Oh, uh, this because he, he singing New York, New York. He felt like you know it would be wrong to not mention him, and Lou Reed had mentioned Bono in a song. So you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of glad that they made those executive decisions to not. Uh, Very glad. But Bono couldn't stop thinking about um, times, uh, a time when he'd, he'd been with. Frank Sinatra, and there was a blue napkin on the table, and Frank Sinatra looked down at the blue napkin and didn't—not saying this to anybody in particular—just looked at it and went, "I remember when my eyes were that blue." Hmm. And Bono, and that just, just kind of—I think Bono saw behind the showbiz mask of Frank Sinatra then, and yeah, and, and saw some of the you know the sadness, and that idea really stuck with him, and that was. What he wanted to put into the into the song, but I I think this is a live song. It's and it's a bit filler, really. That you two can do better and have done better. It's never a song that I I go to to listen to. Um,
0: so you take this off, but not Wild Honey off. I wouldn't. Say, I'm not saying I'll take it off, and
1: I don't turn it off. But it's not a song. I I've never ever thought. Oh, I I want to listen to New York. Mm. That i've never done that so it's 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 just a bit filler um it's a song about a midlife crisis and these famous friends and um there's not much more i can say
0: about it but i think there is a lot of self-referentiality self-refer- and self-awareness on this song i don't think it's meant to be a um boasting song i mean i mean this song became a lot bigger yeah
1: two years down the line a
0: year down the line yeah obviously um, some some lyrics that become so prophetic or take on such a different resonance that, you know, that's where I lost you, New York. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, that's not intentional because it happened before the event, but it's another thing that makes this album have this very interesting resonance and a huge power. Penultimate track on the album, Grace. Or the final track on the album, depending on which region you're in.
1: Yeah, which... W- did,
0: did we get groaned or... America got ground. So I, UK and Japanese releases got Ground Beneath the Feet, the next right. song, as far as I know. And I think part of the reason for that is um, delays in release dates, um, you know, when you can actually get the album. So I think it's seen as a kind of bonus. Yeah. Um, so we can talk about, um, obviously, that song next. But this is, I think we've got to see this as the official end to the album. Um,
1: well, I'm not, and I have a review of uh, The ground okay, Beneath fine, her Feet. fair enough, fair but enough. But back to Grace, on this Review to listen, uh, I had never noticed this before, but the bass at the very start of the song reminds me so much of Playboy Mansion.
0: Let me think back into my uh, mental jukebox.
1: If you're listening at home, Playboy Mansion is a song on on Pop, the previous album, Um, And again, it feeds into the idea that you two are bringing with them the best bits of the past. Um, You know, the idea of all you can't leave behind Mm. um, keeps recurring through this this album. I really like the line, Grace, it's a name for a girl. It's also a thought that changes the world. Mm -hmm. Now, I know that girl and world gets... um, you know they're always purred together, yeah. In, in songs like "Crazy" and "Lazy," but I, I think that there's just there's just something so sweet and innocent about that about that lyric.
0: Yeah, and it fits with the tone of the song.
1: Yeah, um, I do want to skip the track, though. <laughs> I do want to skip the track. Um, in terms of the review or when you listen to it, when I listen to it, it doesn't go anywhere. It's it, li- literally for me on "All That You Can't Leave Behind." Grace is the only song that I want to that I want to skip. It's the only weak Link, and the organ in it is irritating.
0: The organ, where's the organ? there's an organ right at the end? You mean? I think it's yeah at the end. I quite like
1: that. It seems quite out of
0: place. I mean, this for me is has a special place, as all of these songs do, because it's my first chill out song. Now I'm a guy that likes to party sometimes, given certain restrictions and time limits, but I'd like... If th- only our listeners knew. <laughs> what, how, how white and and, uh, and pasty and, um, yeah.
1: and how wobbly your head gets at the end of the night. Well, okay. I say end of the night, but half past ten when you've fallen asleep.
0: Yep. And then to bed, eleven sharp. Um, anyway, that's when I might put on a chill-out song. So I, I really like chill-out music. This is why I really like uh, Captive. Uh, review two of that to follow at some point. But this was the first time that I would... I actually probably wouldn't go to this song if I was just putting on the album for you know general listening but if I really wanted to chill out I would put Grace on because it's so laid back Um and this is the first time it, during this review that I actually noticed Adam doing something interesting and I, I don't like to have a go at Adam especially in the presence of the Adam Apologist here but do you think Adam just takes it easy from 2000 you know to you know onwards to about 2005 because he doesn't stand out on this on this um, album at all. I would say. I,
1: I have to admit that I haven't. I, I didn't notice Adam, uh, and, and normally if Adam's doing something good, I'll flag it. Mm. Um, but I think this this is more about the band than anyone in, individual.
0: True, but I think then there should be kind of an equal contribution. No, he's, he's doing
1: he's doing a, a good job being a steady bassist and doing what the rest of the band want him to do.
0: Yeah. Okay. Fine. I mean, I just think that he's not done that much on this album. I mean, and to be honest, maybe it doesn't. Maybe "Beautiful Day" wouldn't be improved by some Gloria-style slap bass in the uh, middle section when Bono's, you know, talking about you know the Bedouin fires at night. That would be odd. But um, I like the song. It has a nice lullaby quality. I think Adam sounds great on it. Um, I think people might cringe at it, or they might just enjoy its kind of lushness. Um, but it's um, as a, if we do take it as the end of the album as it was in some places. It does harken back to MLK and 40 in the you know the downbeat end to or at least a quieter end to a U2 album. So I like that as a sentiment, but there's another song that I agree with you I'd much prefer to hear at the end.
1: Uh well if if that was the last track on the album uh then When I Look at the World would pretty much be the last track that I listened to. Because I would just turn off um New York and Grace.
0: The ground beneath her feet. This was an occasion where quite oddly for you two someone else came up with some lyrics and said what about putting some music to this, Uh, in this case the novelist Salman Rushdie and he handed them over to Bono and quite strangely for Bono as well he actually managed to get a sound straight away on the first read through of the of the lyrics that he'd been given and it resulted in what I would think is one of the best songs on this album which begs the question, how is this not on the official album? It's so irritating. And I have a, a soundbite from um, the band or kind of the way that they describe it. Now, you 2 apparently, when they take a song to a certain amount of completion and they think, yeah, it's kind of there, but it's a bit maybe soppy or it doesn't quite ring true, they call it a ballad salad. Okay, so... Obviously, it's sort of lightweight, it's attempting to be heavy, but it's kind of just lightweight. And apparently, the ground beneath her feet was a, quote, ballad salad. No, it's not, is what I would say. It's such a good song. Tyler, you you must be ready to to gush your belly song as well.
1: Uh, Yeah, and I'm just going to read my notes, okay, because that's just the easiest thing to do at this point. And these are exactly what I have written in front of me. Yes, yes, yes possibly U2's best song ever no it's not a stadium anthem or a song to march to war to what it is is a beautiful song I remember when I was falling in love for the first time and the lyrics for ground beneath her feet were in my head almost constantly I don't know if any song has ever cheered me up, broken my heart or told me to walk away more in my entire life I I can't overestimate How much I love this song!
0: Wow. So it's this is a contender for the kind of um, you know within our it's this
1: or um ultraviolet for my favorite U two song.
0: Well, I feel like I can't really um, I feel like I don't want to step on any toes by criticizing it in any way. Luckily, I don't really have any negatives about it. Um, What I've got written down is this is the first time we are fully and securely and majestically back to the kind of scale established at the start of the album. So. I like the fact there's a transition from Kite to In A Little While. But after that point, there are attempts at that grandeur in Wild Honey, the terrible midsection, in uh, New York, which doesn't quite get there. And when I look at the world, which doesn't have the same sort of scale, it's great, but not the same scale. This is where we get back to that. And uh, why is it not on the album?
1: Well, it is. It is on the album. It's on the UK and Japan's version of the album. I do feel sorry for... um... For America, like for not, and, and the rest of the world for not getting this song, at least not getting it immediately, because mm. it is such a such a great song. It seems quite like an odd song to to leave off. Normally, the the bonus track is it's a Fast Cars or it's a, a Crystal Ballroom, both good songs, but not it, they're not essential U two listens. And I think this is an essential U two track.
0: Yeah, and I think what. What does it for me is so many different textures and moods through the album. It is quite moody at the start, almost a almost a kind of, um, yeah, religious kind of, you know, quality with that, do-do-do, in the, um, although that sounded a bit like Phantom of the Opera. I think no, I got, I got what you're doing. Yeah, um, so.
1: I like to do it by, da-da-da.
0: <laughs> okay, well, each to their own. Um, but then later on, when Bono gets that midsection, I mean, from the midsection onwards, You can get chills down your spine, you know, thinking about the bit where it begins saying, you know, let me love you, let me rescue you, that kind of thing. Sounds bad when I say it, but it's good on the record. Um, And then we know that that huge force of Edge's solo is coming in. And then later on moves to the my oh my bit. I mean, if you said to me, there's going to be this rock song, it's going to have some organ in it um, that sounds like a church organ. And at the end, there's going to be a refrain with people saying my oh my. I would say that's probably not going to be a good song. So, in summary?
1: Uh, well, <laughs> this is one of the best songs ever. <laughs> ever. So, <laughs> that that's my summary. Okay, so it's time for everybody's favourite feature. And as the single has finally been released, I can do this.
0: Yes, I am wincing in the studio. Um... Wincing Churchill. <laughs> <laughs> well, that makes no sense at all. Um, okay, so what's your uh, what's your sweetest thing, Tyler? Wild Honey. Shut up. Wild
1: Honey. Shut on up. On this listen, I, I know that Growing Beneath My Feet is I don't,
0: one... I'm not talking about your sweetest thing to eat.
1: No. Um, Growing Beneath Her Feet is one of my favourite songs of all time. Uh, but on this listen, Wild Honey really stood out to me as an excellent, excellent track on this album.
0: Well, okay. Hmm. Um my sweetest thing on this listen was the ground beneath her feet. Good song. Great song. Oh dirty day. <laughs> okay. Um My Dirty Day, Tyler, for this episode is wild honey. It doesn't really need to be on the album at all. It's a sticky issue. It is indeed.
1: Um, my dirty day is grace. Fair enough. So, Johnny, is this an album, or is it a flipping album?
0: I really wrangled with this question, this particular episode, and my answer is very, very nearly, but no, I don't think it is actually. Um, if this question means anything, you know, is this a unified artistic statement with coherent themes and developments and things like that? almost, but I don't think the quality's there all the way through, so it's not an Acton baby, it's not a Joshua Tree, and I don't actually think it's even a pop, I think and I mean this is interesting compared to what um, the contemporary criticism around the time of the album's release was April Long's review for example, said that there is no fat on this record, the lines are clean, I don't think that's true I think there is fat on this record the problem is that and this has been said by many people in many different contexts, that first opening salvo of, you know, five or six songs, depending on what you think, um, is so strong that the album can't live up to it. And whereas an album like Actung Baby or uh, Joshua Tree only gets deeper and more interesting in the second half, it gets less single heavy, but it gets really interesting and rich, that richness is not present on this album, I think. I
1: I think I think this is an album I do um and I've always listened to it as an album.
0: But is it a flipping album? And therein lies the rub.
1: Yeah that 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 is a, that is the, a problem. I think it's really good, and it's got two of my favourite songs on it, and I'd listen to it in its in its entirety.
0: Except for New York and Grace, which you say you skip.
1: No I no I said I'd not and I'd never skip them, but I want to skip Grace.
0: Okay fine fair enough good but, clarification.
1: Um. It's it's a tough one, because it's not an album I find myself reaching for anymore, and maybe that's because I overplayed it. Same here. Yeah. Uh, this album is widely credited as the album where U2 became U2 again.
0: The biggest band in the world.
1: You know, in inverted commas. Yeah. Um, when, the, when the band returned to form, returned to the previous glory of the 80s, uh, when I was listening to All That You Can't Leave Behind, I was struck that it's not a return to previous form, rather it's the result of progression, uh, of experimentation, uh, and of a will to attain an audience that stayed with them throughout, mm. well, Baby, Babies, Europa and Pop, mainly. Um, the same audience that have been with them for two decades. This isn't an album for people who liked Boy and October or Unforgettable Fire and Joshua Tree. It's an album for anybody who's ever liked a U2 album there's something to find on this album for for all those people um
0: and also drew a lot of new fans i would say yeah i think, a, that, I mean, that, I like think that's U, true i think yeah
1: i think that's true
0: where of that crop of of new to, of u2 yeah, fans yeah new
1: generation you know early millennium new u2 fans
0: yeah all
1: that you can't leave behind is the result of everything that the the four guys from dublin uh, have done since they were 16 years old And it's the first time they allowed themselves to look back. And as Bono says, the best bits of the past are the bits you bring with you, hence All That You Can't Leave Behind. I think as a concept it really works, but I don't know if I can say it's a flipping album. I think I've got to agree with you on that one.
0: Almost, but not quite.
1: So, that was the review two of All That You Can't Leave Behind. I'd just like to say thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for continuing to like, comment, and share everything on our social media pages and on SoundCloud and iTunes. And hopefully you will join us next week when we'll be review toing How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb. Thank you very much, and goodbye. We'll see you next week. See you then. thanks for listening to the show if you'd like to get in touch please contact us on facebook.com forward slash review22u or on soundcloud.com forward slash review2 or search for the review2 podcast on itunes you can also email us at review2contact gmail.com please like comment and subscribe thank you